All right, if everybody would read along with me from Luke 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Owen. All right. Are the bugs still getting you guys up there? Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time before we get started here. Heavenly Father, uh, again, it's, it's a privilege to be here, Lord, to open up your word and uh, hear from you. I just ask that your spirit, which is here with us now, would, um, would just reveal your heart to us today, Lord. As we uh, open up your word, may we see a window into who you are. And Lord, I pray that uh, your voice would be heard today. Um, and Lord, it, that it wouldn't just uh, hit our heads, but Lord, that it would hit our hearts. And that our faith would increase in you because of it and in your son. I pray that uh, you would give me your words and uh, that anything else that gets in the way, Lord, uh, would just fade away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, we've decided this summer, the parables of Jesus. Uh, we thought that that would be a good idea because our, our crowd is so transient from one week to another. Uh, the parables of Jesus are they're short stories um, that illustrate a spiritual truth. And uh, they're kind of each isolated from one another. So, um, Jesus used them in his teaching, and I believe he was the greatest teacher of all time. So, uh, I think it's a good format for us as well. Um, and so these parables Jesus used so that he uh, could speak to his audience in a way that they understood. And by doing so, he demonstrated that spiritual truth and everyday life go hand in hand. You know, kind of just as I was talking about with our missional community groups is um, there aren't times of our day that are secular and times that are sacred. You know, all of life is intended, God intends for us to, to worship him in what we do and how we work and how we rest and how we spend our money and how we raise our kids and how we recreate all of it. And so Jesus uses parables to tell stories of how his spiritual truth breaks into real life. And uh, today, being Father's Day, uh, I thought it was, it was appropriate to look into the parable of the two sons, or some of you might know it as the prodigal son, uh, but it's really about two sons. Personally, I like to refer to this story as the story of the loving father, because I think he's the real hero of the story. And, uh, you know, this is likely the most famous parable of Jesus, um, and it's probably the most famous 
short story of all time. Ralph Waldo Emerson and Charles Dickens said it was the greatest short story ever written. Um, And as, you know, many of you are aware, there've been countless books and songs and movies uh, made that tell the story of mostly the younger son in the story, the prodigal son, as we have come to know him in in different ways. Um, And so with each of the parables that Jesus uh, taught, Um, And in all of scripture, scripture is for all people of all time, but it was written specifically to a certain group of people in a certain time. And so it's important to understand context when we look into God's word. And the same is true uh, in the parables and particularly the, the cultural context that these parables were being told in. And so Jesus was teaching to a heavily Jewish and religious audience In fact, he was at a Pharisee's house and a Pharisee was the religious leader of that day. Uh, He was, you know, well known for his knowledge of the scriptures and his holy living. And the culture that surrounded these Pharisees was very much a shame, honor culture. Um, The Pharisees in scripture are are documented as being wanting, wanting recognition for all the righteous acts that they have done and also like shaming those who uh, don't live up to their standard. It was very much a totem pole mentality where they would do anything to elevate themselves and to, to bring others below them. But through this parable, the parable of the two sons and the loving father, Jesus is introducing a new culture to them. And so I, I on the front of your bulletins, I only put uh, just a couple of the verses um, a really important part of the parable, but I'm going to actually open up to Luke 15 and read the entire parable for you. So if you have your Bible or if you have a smartphone with service and you want to read along with me, uh, I'm going to read straight out of Luke 15. Starting in verse 11. Says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to, to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father was ki- has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So this parable, uh, one of Jesus' most famous, uh, perhaps the reason that it is the most famous is because it's a direct representation of the gospel, of the reason that he came to earth. Um, The father represents God, and the two sons represent you and I, or people. And so we're going to take a look today predominantly at, at the two sons. Uh, the first is the younger son, the one that I think gets most of the uh, attention when, when we look at the prodigal son story or the two sons. Um, and what he was doing is that he was running from God or running from the father. Uh, the, is, as the story says, the younger son went on uh, to waste his inheritance on wild living. You know, you and I might call this a journey of self-discovery where he was pursuing everything that he thought would make him happy. And, you know, whether or not you and I have period of our life where we've done something like this, gone away from uh, our family or squandered an inheritance of sort, um, we've all been like this son. You know, the book of Isaiah says that we all like sheep have gone astray. And, uh, you know, the way that we are, are like the younger son is, is through what I, I call the progressive nature of idolatry, is that you and, all, you and I and everyone, every human being has a tendency to take good gifts from God, you know, whether it be work, whether it be uh, money, whether it be food or drink or sexuality, and we have a tendency to take that good thing and put it in the place of God. And what we do, uh, Romans, back to Romans 1, it says we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we we worship the gift instead of the giver. You know, we talk about this uh, a lot at the mountaintop services where we lift our eyes to the mountains, the psalmist says, where does my help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. When we lift our eyes to the mountains, we don't worship the mountains. We worship the one who gave us the mountains. But we have a tendency to do that. with other things. Um, And so I think as we, we replace God with other things, we come to find out that none of these other things satisfy us like we thought they would or like they promised they would. And so what we end up looking like is a person who has a trash can or a five gallon bucket filled with holes in it. And they're trying to fill it with water, right? And you can get it full if you have enough water and you do it quick enough, but pretty shortly after it's going to drain, right? And so what we'd have to do is we'd have to relentlessly just keep working to keep that full, keep that full. But as soon as we get tired, 
It's going to go right back down. So sometimes we not only work relentlessly to keep ourselves filled, to keep ourselves on the mountaintop. Sometimes we distort these things and we twist them and we make them, uh, we exchange the truth of God for a lie um, in these gifts. So in a lot of ways, that's what the younger son was doing. He was seeking for uh, pleasure and identity and, and all the wrong things. And these things, you know, inherently aren't bad. But uh, when, we tr- when we distort them and we try and put them in God's place, that's where he went wrong and we have a tendency to go wrong. And so I think that sometimes the most loving thing that God can do for his children that we see in this parable is to let them run. And that's what the father did in this story. Um, And the reason why God sometimes lets his children run and the father let his children run is, is because just like the, the younger son, the hope is that in the end, we might come to an understanding of our condition that left to ourselves. We, each one of us are hopeless to save ourselves and we're destined for a, a bad, bad place. So God didn't, God, just like the father didn't hold the son against his will, God doesn't hold us against our will. And uh, ultimately, he gives each person what they want. But even when we run from God, there's good news. None of us are too far gone. And we don't have to drag ourselves back or clean ourselves up. If you look at uh, verse 17 in the passage, we realize and we see that the father or the son, excuse me, knows the father to be kind and generous. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, talking about the son, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So the son knew about his father. He knew that his father was kind and generous, loving and gracious. And the same is true about God, our heavenly father. In, in the Psalms, in Psalm 51, he says, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. That's so true. So the son came to his senses and he got up and went on his way. And when he was a long way off, the father runs to meet his son. And that's the beauty of this passage. And the truth that it displays is that God pursues his children. God is pursuing this morning. Um, And a little bit more about the context of this parable. Uh, In that culture, Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run at all in this culture. This was a shameful thing in itself. Um, And the fact that the father even gave the inheritance to his son was a shameful thing because it showed that the son was saying, dad, I pretty much wish you were dead and I would rather just have your money. And so the father is not only, uh, welcoming him back. He's running to welcome him back. And then he shows absolute emotional abandon, hugging and kissing his son. And the son had his pre-rehearsed speech already. Dad, I'm sorry. I deserve to be, I don't deserve to be called your son. I'll work my hardest and, and I'll somehow repay you if, if you'll only let me. 
and treat me, treat me as a servant. I just want to remind you, or maybe let you know for the first time, that if that is the posture you think you need to have before God to be made right before him, you've misunderstood the good news of the gospel. If you think you need to grovel in your guilt and your shame to prove to God how sorry you really are this time, you've got it wrong. Let's look at the story. What does the father do? He stops his son right there. And he calls out to a servant. And he says, get the best robe, get a ring. We're having a party. The last thing the son was doing was rolling around in a pig slop, pig sty before he came to the father. And the father doesn't even wait for his son to take a shower or a bath. He says, we're going to celebrate. My son was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. You see, God doesn't demand that we work our way back to him, pay for our mistakes with guilt and shame. And he doesn't demand an explanation. And he doesn't demand that we clean ourselves up. What he asks is that we simply turn to him and surrender to him. Now, why is that? Is it because our sin doesn't mean anything to God? No, that's not it. It's because Jesus has done it for us. I say this a lot to our local church, but guilt and shame are not the cure for our sin. Jesus is the cure. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus, the perfect son of God, became like sinful man, like you and I, so that sinful men and women could become perfect sons and daughters of God. That's the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made him, talking about Jesus, God made him who, made, who had no sin, become sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, if we think that God is not great enough to overcome our sin, we must think very highly of our sin and very little of God. Um, The hurt that we've caused God when we left him and squandered our inheritance is nothing in comparison to his love for us in Christ. And let's remember, the son was lost, not estranged. God desperately wants to rescue his children, but he also loves them enough to not force himself upon them. So if you've been running, and if you're tired of grasping for and chasing after something that never gives you what you thought it would, and you realize that what you've been looking for all along is in the arms of the Father, I would encourage you, call out to him. He sees you, he sees where you are, he sees where you've been, and he still loves you. He will run to you. Maybe you're turning back to him, or maybe you're getting to know him for the first time. It doesn't matter. He's waiting for you, and I believe there are some here who he's pursuing in that way right now. We'll come back to that, but for the next few minutes, let's take a look at the older son. You know, we, we contribute the younger son as being the runner in this story. The younger son was running from God. I think the older son was a runner too. He was running for his father. Just like the younger son, 
The older son was pursuing what he thought would give him ultimate joy and satisfaction other than God. It's, it wasn't in what he would consume. It was actually in what he would do for God. And in the end, it ends up consuming him. See, when the older son discovers that his brother has returned home, he's furious, right? He won't even come into the house. But again, the father pursues him. The father leaves the party to pursue his older son. And he pleads with his son. And when he does, the older son goes on to remind the father of the long list of things that he's done for the father. In verse 29, we see the the son's response. He says, look, he doesn't even say dad or father. He just says, look, wow. All these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders, yet you've given me no recognition. And when my brother comes home from squandering his inheritance, you throw a party? What he realizes is that the party that his father is throwing is actually coming out of his own inheritance. Because if the younger son already took his inheritance, everything that the father owns and is left should be belong to the older son. But what he didn't understand was the father's love for him and for his younger brother. Now, if you're like me, you struggle Sometimes you and I struggle sometimes with believing that God could really love us apart from anything we have done for or against him. Some of you here have been praying relentlessly for, or running relentlessly for God, excuse me, trying to earn your inheritance, going to church, reading your Bible, praying, serving, not out of the love that you've already been given, but in hopes that God will one day reward you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. None of those things are bad things. But again, it's, it's our tendency to, to put these things in the place of God. There's still good news for us. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 2. In verse 5, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Excuse me. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, we can't earn God's love for us. Let's stop trying. He doesn't give it based on merit. He simply gives it out of love to those who see their need for Jesus and by faith call on him for salvation. I ran into a really uh, interesting quote from Timothy Keller this week as I was preparing this sermon. He says, sometimes we need to repent not for the things we did wrong, but for the reasons we did right. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we need to repent not for the things we did wrong, but for the reason we did right. You see, God doesn't care as much about what you do for him. He cares a whole lot more that that you know how much he loves you. Do you believe this? God doesn't need our works. He doesn't need anything from us. 
He didn't die for our works. He died for each one of us because he loves us. What we do in God's name comes out of knowing his love for us in Jesus. Do you believe in that love? To sum up God's people, God's people are a people who believe and trust in God from start to finish. He sees you and he loves you. He always has and he always will. So we've looked at the two sons. Some of us here are like the younger son who've been running from the father. Some of us here are like the older son who have been running for the father, trying to earn his approval. Maybe you didn't know this, but there's actually a third son in the story. And he's the one who's telling the story. Jesus. He's the true and better son. He's the true and better younger son who lived a perfectly submitted life to the father and didn't squander his inheritance. But instead, he gave it up for you and I so that we could be brought into God's family. And he's the true and better older son who, when his younger brothers and sisters, you and I, ran away from the father and squandered our inheritance, he saw the father's anguish and left the father's side to pursue us and bring us back, knowing that it would not only cost him his inheritance, but it would cost him his life. Jesus is the true and better son. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. We can't get to the father by any other means. Not through a journey of self-discovery on our own or not through morality or good works. Jesus is the only way. He's the, the true and better son and he points us to the perfect father. I hope you all will, uh, will continue to think on this, this Father's Day, that there's only one true and perfect Father. And uh, each one of us have, have things in our lives that are barriers from truly believing in God as our, as our Father. But I pray that you would look to Jesus. Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the fullness of God in flesh. And... Uh, it's only by his, his work that we're saved. So as I feel rain hitting my forehead, I think we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us apart from anything we have done or have not done, but only because of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. Father, I pray that we would understand your love in a new way, in a way that doesn't make us live our lives uh, out of guilt or shame or feeling like we have to repay, but in a way that gives us freedom, Lord, to share your love, the love of the Father, with those around us and to experience that love in all of life. Father, I thank you for this breeze that is blowing over us right now, keeping the bugs off of us for just a couple minutes. You're full of good gifts, Lord, and there's lots of reasons to know why you love us, but there's none greater than the fact that you sent Jesus to die for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still runners, God, you saw us and you loved us. Thank you for pursuing us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.